0: I'm so glad to see new faces and the old faces here. I'm so glad to meet you at the, oh, okay. Um, so glad to see you. So our first slide is visitors list. We were trying this thing out, um, having the visitors list at the corner table as you walk in if you're new. Um, but it's going to be by these donuts and coffee area. And all it is is your name, first and last, uh, if you're a college student or not, and your email. And that is the way just to get plugged in. and. Know what's going on in our church, um, so that we can connect with you. And then, small groups start this week. These are our small groups that are going to last all year. Um, so Tuesdays, Tuesdays we have Austin and Miriam. They're going over James, practical living, and the model life. Don and Grant are going over worshiping God with Scripture, not song. And then Wednesday, we have Troy and Vianette, hope and anxiety, depression, using scripture to minister to others. And then Emily and Melissa, also on Wednesday night, reading scripture aloud. Mia and I are also going to do a small group on Monday nights for those that can't make it, Tuesday and Wednesday. And that is just going to be for females over anxiety and depression as well. And those start this week and last the full year. Okay, cool. We have the greeting team. So, um... I was on the greeting team. So you can contact Joseph. He's going to ask for your email. And there is a Google spreadsheet that is over the month of September now. And then we have about like five slots and then like an alternative one. And you can just put your name on the sheet saying that this Sunday I want to greet people. Basically, you just come in at 1020, just a little bit before church starts. And you just be with the team that morning. And then you just greet people and just shake hands. If you're new, what is your name? Get to know them. Simple as that. And we'll do this now until forever, apparently. So contact Joseph and um, give him your email, and then he'll add you to the Google Slide or Docs. And then we have Men Swim Extravaganza on September 9th at 4:30. Go, go men and go swimming. Am I right? Um, so that is going to be at. Um, how do I? Is Austin or Miriam here? No. Nope. Yeah, we'll, we'll more, more details next week, and then parking. So this is for our non. College men, so sorry if you're in college. Um, so if you're not in college, you're invited to join for swimming, food, and fellowship, and more details are coming soon. And then we have our Focus Ice Cream Social. Um, I have the ice cream social sign up, so I'm going to pass this here in a second. On this one, if you are um, need volunteers, yeah. So we need volunteers to help us serve ice cream and me and get to know Focus students. So Those that are adults, here's a sign-in sheet. I'm going to pass this around, and it just asks your name, email, phone number. If you're going to bring ice cream, what kind of ice cream, what what kind of toppings? And so Tabby um, will, over here, Tabby's going to reach out to you just to clarify what you're bringing, what ice cream or what toppings, and uh, to make sure that you're there. So that's September 7th. That's a Friday at 6 p.m. at the Eagle Student Service Center at UNT. Um, I'm going to pass this around, and then I'm going to pass the offering basket, I'm gonna pray over this, and then I'm going to, Brad, you're speaking, right? I'm going to pray over Brad. So bow your heads with me. I'm going to pray over the basket. Um, I'm going to start with Nicole, and then we're going to pass, not to these people over here, but then it's going to pass over here, and then over here, and then it's going to go to Kennedy, and then you're going to snake it through, okay? So, dear God, you're good. Um, just want to pray For this Sunday, just pray over Brad and that you give him the words um, to reach to our hearts that that we may have hearts to receive and um, ears to hear your message and that whatever is given today that you will bless um, our church with. um, In your son's name, amen.
1: Uh, A couple things real quick. This is... um... Sort of random, but you know, we do agenda stuff every now and again up here, and so that's good. You know, I have argued with Josh Robinson, uh, who leads our sound team, for years on whether we should do a song first or announcements first. I hate doing the song first because you're all like zombies, and people are like talking in the back, and no one's paying attention, and it just feels really irreverent. And I know it's probably not But it just feels that way. So I'm going to give you kind of a challenge, and it's the same challenge I gave you last week. Normally, for those who have been here for a while, we have beautiful images and artwork and photos all around, okay? And uh, I I noticed we have one something up there now, which is exciting. And, uh, of course, our tree man, who we always have. Um, But I'm going to pretend like this was a purposeful, God-given thing for our first couple weeks of this sermon series on the good news in stories and images, that I really want you to come in with one idea in the morning during worship, and that's that you are a story or an image of the good news to people around you, okay? We don't have photographs up, we don't have, you know, I mean, the building is still really beautiful and nice, but I want you to think of yourself, particularly for those of you who have been Christians for a while, as an image and a story of the good news. And so what that means is that you're going to think through what do people see. And yes, on the outside, I know we have a tendency to want to talk about the, the inside all the time, but the outside and inside should be congruent with each other uh, when we're at our best and when the Spirit's uh, among us. And that does not necessarily mean that we're all excited and, who, you know, some, some football game, for those of you who saw UNT beat SMU, it doesn't have to mean that you, don't clap for that, who cares about football? Um, uh, and... Uh, and doesn't mean you have to imitate that same thing. We're not trying to show off. I'm not a particularly expressive person when I'm uh, singing songs, um, but it, it means that you are an image, if that's reverent, but what it doesn't mean is that you're tired and your voice is low and you're exhausted as if coming uh, with God's people and before God is an exhausting task, okay? So I really want you to be thinking about that not just because it's much more exciting to be among people who are really excited about being among each other, but because one of the things that's really interesting about our church is we know each other really well. We're a very close family. And so what that actually does, which can harm us, is that means we let down our guard, and we're just who we really are, and we're really honest. And if we're not feeling good, and we're not doing well, it's like the meme I posted on Facebook today, which is a side announcement, bring coffee mugs because our coffee mugs were jacked, uh, and that way we don't have to waste paper cups and things like that. But the meme you know, that says, don't talk to me until my coffee is like at least at this level, uh, that's okay. We can do that with each other. But when it comes time to really worship God and our service starts, I really, really want to challenge you to think through, uh, am I reflecting uh, the good news in how I am thinking about and worshiping? Uh, because I think that really is important. Okay? Um, yes, good, good, good stuff. For those of you who are new uh, today or last week, uh, we're a part of a network of other churches, four other churches in the DFW area. We're the second youngest of the churches. We're also, we partner with about nine or 10, I can never keep track of the number, college ministries around the DFW 11. Thank you, Ryan, one of the college interns this year. Um, 11 ministries, and so we're a part of a larger network of, of churches, and I just want to kind of tell you that because while um, our churches are all independent, we are also all uh, very much, um, we rely on each other uh, as uh, different churches and different bodies of faith um, to, you know, for our organization, for a lot of our values and things like that. And so if any time you're interested in learning about us and you can't find something on our sparse webpage, you can go, always go to any of the other links to other churches or college ministries to, uh, to figure out who we are, what we believe, uh, and all that good stuff. So we, uh, we've been, I don't ever keep track of days and years and things like that in terms of anniversaries, but I think we've been around for four years, maybe? Uh, Leslie? Leslie? Starting five, yeah, my co-minister over there who keeps track of those things for me. Um, You would think that would get me into trouble with my wife. It doesn't. Uh, She can't keep track of those things either. Uh, She celebrated our anniversary almost two and a half weeks. Not even just two weeks, but two and a half weeks early uh, this year. Woke up and was like, oh, happy anniversary. I'm like, cool, yeah, happy anniversary to you. And I had no idea. And so we just celebrated our anniversary two and a half (laughs) weeks early We were just really excited to celebrate our anniversary. That's how much in love we are. Uh, So, yeah. How did we not figure it out? Neither one of us pay much attention to dates, so it just, the date seemed right. Realize? Realize? Uh, She had to go get her wisdom teeth out that day, and so we went in the morning to get her wisdom teeth out, and she gave the date that she thought it was, and she was two and a half weeks off. (laughs) Had a tough summer, okay? You know? Uh, and uh, anyway, so yeah, we, we both realized at that moment it was not our anniversary. So, uh, But we celebrated anyway by getting wisdom teeth out. Um, so, good stuff. All right. Um, so, uh, today we're going to continue on in our series. Again, the series title is Good News and Stories and Images. If we do this correctly each week, the speaker, whether it's Myself, Leslie, we're going to have speakers from our other churches and college ministries come and talk to you. And if any of you want to tag team a sermon, two or three of you at a time, if you don't feel like you could give a full 25 or 30 minute sermon, you're welcome to. Uh, Everything's already posted on our Facebook page, so you should know what the homework is each week in terms of uh, preparation for what we're going to read, what we're going to talk about. There's a chunk of scripture that's usually one to two chapters. And then there's sort of a focal point, which is the image or story we really want you to focus on that we'll be preaching from. But anyway, if we do this correctly, people are going to come up here and they're not going to give you the normal 2.3.4-point theological sermon. They are just going to tell you a story. Now, I got a lot of interesting feedback last week from my story, most of which went a little bit like this. How did you feel like that went? Which is, uh, you might as well come up to me and tell me, hey, your story was not that good. Uh, Let's have a conversation so we can quickly get to why I think it wasn't that good. My wife was the biggest critic of anybody. I just don't like stories like that, you know, blah, 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 whatever else. So let let me give a couple primers here on this series, okay? Number one, guys, have you ever thought about the fact that maybe the entirety of Jesus' stories aren't passed down to us? So when we get, you know, Uh, narrow is the road, broad is the road, maybe like he told a story like mine. I mean, I'm just saying, it could have been. And that's all people took away from it, okay? So, I mean, John tells us that if all the things he said and did were recorded, there wouldn't be enough books to contain it, certainly an exaggeration, but there was a lot of things Jesus said and did. And none of them have been like huge movie-making stories, okay? Uh, They weren't like amazingly told stories. I mean, the story itself is an amazing story. But the stories he taught often served a specific purpose and really got people to think and question and confused people a lot of times. And so I would encourage you as people tell you uh, stories to not kind of get your uh, critic mindset on immediately. We're not paid professional storytellers. I'm not going to spend 20 hours a week telling a story, I make like $24,000 a year. Now, if you guys want to make, give me $240,000 a year, I will gladly spend 10 or 20 hours a week telling you stories. I mean, I'm, I'm good with that. Let's just throw that out there right now. If you want to multiply my salary by 10 times the story, I will tell you so many stories. I will become a good storyteller, okay? But I spent about 30 minutes on that story. And even afterward, I thought, man, there's other things I could have done, and it was complex, and I could have written it down. But I didn't want it to be some professional, well-thought-out story. I wanted it to be something that, number one, spoke to me and that I think could speak to someone else if I would probably shorten it quite a bit in the environment we're in. So let me say a couple more things. Every year, I take the focus interns at the very end of the semester. Sometimes there's like four, sometimes there's like ten. And our entire class, really, is on, we read a book that's a secular book that, in fact, is a book that caused a whole lot of Christians to get pissed in the 1920s was the first author in America to win the Nobel Peace Prize for literature. Uh, the book is called Sinclair, or Sinclair Lewis by Elmer Gantry. It's about a hypocritical preacher. It's called Elmer Gantry. Sinclair Lewis is the author. Hello. Thank you. I'm not good with names. You could have waited. Anyway, Elmer Gantry, there's a lot of names. And, um, and one of the activities they do, in fact, like the kind of final activity, their sort of final work, is they've got to either come up with an original story that they write and tell, okay? Or they've got to take some pre-existing story, whether it's in a book, a movie, or whatever, and basically dissect it and analyze it and then represent it in a way that syncs up or is congruent with the gospel of Christ. And each year, there's two things that always happen. The first one is everybody is really scared about doing this activity, because they're so worried about the critics around them that are going to criticize them. And so before they read any story, it's always, well, you know, I didn't spend much time on this, I didn't do this, this part doesn't make sense, whatever else. And I have to remind them, guys, you are not professional storytellers. The goal here is not that you're going to make a movie at some point in the future and make tons of money and have two years and have hundreds of millions of dollars in budget. It's that you learn how to think about the gospel in ways that aren't just words and theological ideas because most of it is presented in stories and in images that connect with people in their brains and in their hearts in a way that's much more meaningful than a systematic theology uh, presentation. And so that's the first thing. I remember reading a book when we did a pizza theology years back on culture and movies called Real Spirituality, R-E-E-L. And one of the things, this is a really famous Christian movie critic, and he's not a movie critic that just... Criticizes Christian movies because that would be tough. You would never really have anything good to say. Um, (laughs) He is a movie critic that happens to be a Christian and pretty well known. And he just talks about how unreasonable it is for most of us and cowardly to just sit back and critique people's work without really engaging in it for what it's worth and, and, and the messages that are being sent. And he has a lot of things to say, but he's like, you know, if we were just to leave it up to the professional storytellers. Think about how silly that would be. That would be like us only going and watch MLB, but never going and watch our kids play Little League. Or if we did watch them play Little League, we'd be like booing and hissing, and which some people do. I know, it's very sad to watch. Um, and, you know, we obviously don't hold the same standard. And so I want to remind you to kind of get over your natural criticism for some of these stories and, and think through... How to engage on this on your own? Because a lot of you are going to be sitting back, good critics. But in reality, if you tried something like this, I think you'd probably be a lot more humble. And that's the goal: is for you to either create something that's for yourself in your own devotional time, or I think in and uh, the the sort of the next step to that is to create something or use something that's existing uh, to really communicate to someone else where they're at uh, the gospel of Christ more so than at any other time in recent. Uh, a memorable history, we need to regain a foothold in being good storytellers as Christians. The, the good news cannot be portrayed like it was portrayed in the 30s and 40s with these reasonable and rational arguments that just p- put people into a corner. People aren't interested in hearing most of that. If you want to know more about that or think more about that, go back to our last summer series, not this one, but the one before that on post-mo- uh, post-mortem, post-modern um, Uh, apologetics and things like that. People need to hear stories, and we need to regain both for our own spirituality and for the sake of others an ability to understand all of uh, what the Scripture has to say in its brilliance and stories and images. All right? So, that's what I'm going to say. A couple things I would suggest. Again, as you decide that you want to, to do this and participate in this, start small. Start with something you think you can manage. Uh, start for your uh, audience of one for yourself, writing these and thinking through them. And, uh, and then, you know, one of the things that I have the interns do is they think about a very specific audience that they want to write to. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit today in the story that I have for you uh, today. But thinking about a very specific audience that this story would really connect with. Okay, and I would love, 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 love. In fact, I don't, I'm not just going to say I love it. I'm going to expect you guys to share these stories. Poems, your take. One of my favorite ever was a presentation on. Interstellar, which I didn't even like that movie. But a gal last semester presented just a really, really amazing um, uh, kind of summary of that story from a gospel perspective. And it was just really true to the movie and true to the themes in the movie. It didn't use it. It didn't try to hijack it and really connect it up with uh, the gospel stories. And I just absolutely love that. Uh, and so certainly you can use something like that if you want to that's already in existence, a story that's really been meaningful to you, whatever else. Any questions on that, or do you think I've sufficiently covered that so that we can all be a group of people who are willing to experiment and be creative and not just a bunch of critics? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Good. Great. All right. Beautiful. Let's do Luke. So hopefully you've read Luke this week. Uh, Every week we'll be in Luke. We're going to read the entire gospel story of Luke throughout this series, and uh, each Sunday morning we're not going to take the time to read what I've assigned you in terms of the entire uh, section because it would just take too long, and I'm uh, not going to do that. So we're going to focus in on Luke 5, 1 through 11. You guys ready to roll? You there? Uh, you mean repeat the same thing that's on Facebook, Tyrus, and that has been for three weeks? What? It's Tyrus, man. I can mess with them. I think. I mean, you know. Uh, what did you say, you're good with it or you're not good with it? Luke
0: 5, uh, 1 through 11. Brad. <laughs>
1: uh, all right, so Luke 5, uh, 1 through 11. And, uh, you know, it, it, I'm going to read this through all the way, give you a little background on it, and then we're going to read back through it after we've done kind of a short activity so that I can try my best to, from my personal experience, um, highlight some of the really important messages from this uh, this passage, and when I do that, the first time through, if you've got questions or thoughts or something that you have had in your time this week reading and studying this passage, just throw them out there, guys. Okay, it's totally fine. If it's a little bit off point, uh, then I'll redirect, you know, or just ignore you entirely. Um, but participative reading is really important, and I think is necessary, and uh, dates back a long, long time for people to kind of stop, ask questions, make comments. And so if you feel the need to do that through your reading this week, or you have something to add, or something uh, that you think the Spirit might be leading you to, uh, to say, put it out there. We'll, uh, you know, we'll judge that for you. Test it. That's a better word. Okay. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, whatever, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Matthew says, mending their nets. Either way, they were doing something with their nets, Okay. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon or Peter, and asked him to put out a little bit from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men, or my version says catch people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And when you think about this story, have you ever thought about they were like in these like tiny boats? Have you ever thought of like a, like, a, like a raft, you know? I always thought of them as being in like rafts, right? I mean, these fishing boats were huge. They were like 30, 40-foot boats. They required a lot to like go in and out. And if you've ever been on a fishing boat, I don't know, maybe if you... Uh, you know, uh, went out on the Gulf Coast or somewhere like that. I mean, these, these rigs can be pretty big and can have a lot of people. Of course, their boats were wooden and things like that, very different than what you'd be on today. Uh, these nets were huge. They required a lot of people, that kind of thing. So just initially, visually, I always thought about this as being like, he's gone out in this little tiny boat 20 feet out, and people was like, even harder to hear him. But no, I mean, these boats were huge. He was standing from them, preaching, blah, blah, blah. All right, totally switching gears here. Um, so how many of you have had a somewhat close relationship, so mom, dad, brother, sister, good friend, uh, or you yourself, which I caution you on this because I doubt there's many people in this room, who's been a blue-collar worker. Okay, a blue-collar, what do I mean by blue-collar worker? We're talking electricians, plumbers, construction people, welders, um, you know, uh, landscapers, you know, people who would wear blue collars, right? The outfits, the jumpsuits, machinists, you know, all that stuff. So how many of you? Okay, so give me a few just thoughts. It could be stereotypical ideas. It could be the unspoken rules of blue-collar workers. Whatever you want to share. Let's talk a little bit about blue-collar workers in our society. Go for it. Share whatever you want to share. Unappreciated? Unappreciated? Okay. What do you mean? Okay. So a lot of them are trade workers. They've had to go do some aspect of education, although it's rare to have a full uh, degree, maybe a trade school, they have skills, they work with their hands, and maybe you should get paid more than, uh, than what they do. All right? What else? They don't wash their hands. <laughs> <sighs> Mine actually look pretty good. My wife does my nails about every two weeks, so And then I have one of those scrub brushes now at work, which has like changed my life. But those of you don't know, I'm the mechanic of the church. Uh, and I also weld. I have a welding business. I taught college for a decade, and, uh, and now I make considerably more money uh, working with my hands and being a blue-collar worker than I ever did with the three degrees that I, uh, that I got. Now, I'm not suggesting any of you drop out of school, okay? Because if there's one thing you do need to know about blue-collar work, it's that the range of pay is huge. You've got guys that make $8 an hour. You've got guys making $80 an hour, and they're doing the same thing. It depends on where they're at. Uh, what uh, uh, industry, if they own the business, seasonal work is hard for blue-collar workers because, you know, one month you might be working 80 hours a week making a ton of money, and then the next week you're making, you know, a little bit less money, but a whole lot less hours, and so it's really hard. It's not some 40-hour-a-week job. Some people like it for that reason, Uh, but it's super seasonal, and so there are huge ranges for pay, hours, all that stuff. Whereas in a professional uh, realm, you get a pretty consistent pay range, an hour range that's a little bit easier uh, to rely on, and that's one of the hardest things for blue-collar workers. Some people say, well, blue-collar workers are unethical because they charge more sometimes and less other times. A lot of that has to do with just the season of business they're in. Some of us don't recognize that. Um, and, uh, and now that's there's dishonest to people out there, yeah, sure, what else? All right, come on, more blue-collar stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely disagree with engineers. A lot of mechanics hate engineers for uh, how they put things on cars. Because, you know, an engineer thought in his little paper blueprint, this will be a good idea, but has never actually worked on a car and has no idea how much of a bad idea it actually was to put that thing there. Um, But I won't get started on that. So it's the theory uh, versus experience, which is uh, well exhibited by my man, you know, Tong, who's a brilliant engineer back there. But the first time he pulled together a weed eater, I virtually never got it back together again. Uh, and I've pulled apart a lot of small appliances, but I think we had like 10 or 15 screws left, so I'm not really for sure how that's possible. All right, so yeah, big difference between the educated theoretical that, that you know, both might look down at each other or, uh, you know, whatever else. What else about blue-collar workers, yeah? Well, I mean, yeah, I like you said like the hmm But that isn't necessarily... Right. Yeah, you just need to watch Good Will Hunting, right? You know? No, that's not oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Well, oh my gosh, don't use that word in church. And how could you ever say that? <laughs> the movie was amazing, although it did further stereotypes about blue-collar workers. There's no doubt about that. But that was a good movie, man. Come on, Robin Williams at his best. Yeah, Margo. They never stop. They never stop. That's right. They, you know, many of us who've worked around people who are blue-collar workers, they have almost just this natural workaholic gene. Some of them. Now, again, there's a lot of people who are really lazy, and they get into a job. Uh, I, I shouldn't say what I was about to say, so I'll just say some can be equally lazy. But yes, blue-collar workers can be incredibly hard workers uh, and be working long hours, uh, with little respect, and sometimes they're loners. They don't like to instruct other people. They just want to kind of do their deal, and when you try to get some instruction from them, you think you're the worst, most idiotic person that's ever uh, been on this planet. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know anyone like that, but um, that's uh, that's true. Yeah? You're um, just like, yeah, go and do this, and they're like, no. Are you trying to preach my sermon for me, or are you trying to, <laughs> to turn to my world here? Or, uh, <laughs> It's like one of my my points, so, you know. No. um, Guys who work with their hands generally have a lot. They're kind of of jack-of-all-trades. A lot of folks that I found in the blue-collar work, they can do a little bit in a lot of areas, but they have one area that they're an expert in, and they would never go into someone else's expert area and tell them, hey, this is how you ought to do this. So when people come to my shop and I'm welding, which I am an expert at welding, okay, um, I'm gonna tell them things, I'm gonna show them things that's great. But I'm, I, t- I know this is probably gonna confuse a lot of you uh, because you thought I was, but I am not at any moment of my life an expert mechanic. I am just sort of a shade tree mechanic. So those of you who've given me your money and let me work on your cars, who knows when that's, uh, that's gonna break down completely on you. Um, <laughs> So I would never tell my partner who is an expert and, you know, certified mechanic what to do. Now, here's the good news about that. Most of the time when you're coming to me to get your car done, I pass it off to Noah, my partner, and I don't even do it, and I just take the credit for it. Um... I don't take any money, but I do take the credit for it. So that's, uh, that's good. It makes me look better. But yes, blue-collar workers tend to have an ability to work in a lot of fields, but they're expert in usually only one, and uh, they would never, ever, uh, you know, go into another field and, uh, and tell someone sort of how to do something. That's absolutely right. And, and in fact, they have uh, almost a, a, um, an overemphasis on humility in fields that they know they're not experts in, because they know just how much there is to still learn about those fields. Uh, anybody who ever you know you know basically pretends like they know what they're talking about I don't know, Rise or AutoZone or something like that you know it, that's going to be difficult uh, because they're they're parts they're doing parts stuff so it's the guys that are older who've been around for a while who have a lot more humility uh, you can tell kind of know more what they're doing anyway anything else we got maybe one more minute for uh, other blue collar stories I think they're pretty grumpy here. Slow down. Like yeah things in right yes they're pretty yeah you know and professors can be like that too right I mean so anybody who's kind of an expert you know. Uh, or, you know, so-called can be like that. You guys have been pretty good, but uh, what about rough and tough and just, you know, I mean, the blue-collar workers that I work around, uh, you know, it's hard to not, in fact, I can maybe count on my hand the number of people who don't use the F word in every sentence. Uh, There's just a language differentiation. The whole idea of professionalism doesn't apply in blue-collar jobs like it applies in, uh, that That realm, and so that fits some people sometimes just that they can kind of be more vocal, rough, tough, all of that stuff, yeah spitting, smoking, oh yeah, no, no it 's actually really true and 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 this is one of the sound kind of the, the uh, sad sides of just poverty in general, but people who are lower on the income scale are much more likely like uh, to drink and, uh, and have drinking problems, and uh, smoke. Almost 75% of people who smoke are going to be below the middle class. And so there's a, um, an interesting kind of psychology behind that that we don't have just a ton of time to explain. I think you guys, for those of you who have no experience around blue-collar workers, probably got just a little bit of a taste of what it's like to be in that realm and in that world. The only other thing that I would say is just because it's fun, and it's one of my favorite things about blue-collar workers, is everybody trades everything. Money doesn't matter anymore. Okay, you think, oh, you, know, you know, money, you, know, you want to pay for this, pay for that? No, you trade favors, you trade vehicles, you loan stuff. It goes back to like a rural barter system where everything is available to use and trade, and that's one of my favorite things about it. But anyway, eBay weirdos. Yeah, like they use eBay for everything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Whatever. (laughs) Um, So, here we go, guys. Verses 2 and 3 here. I want to reread the story. One day, Jesus was standing by the lake of whatever that lake is. With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, uh, uh, Jesus already knows Simon, okay? Uh, we, We know that because in John, Andrew, Simon's brother, introduces Jesus after, Jesus, uh, after um, uh, Simon was leading or was following John the Baptist. He, that's when he renames him Peter, which is such a weird exchange. <laughs> uh, but apparently he's still going by Simon. I guess he didn't really like that name too much. <laughs> Hadn't really stuck yet, you know. Um, and, uh, and so, and, and then he already knows him. Plus, the, the scripture right before this, if you read, was Jesus over at Peter's mom's House, right? Healing her from this this fever, this sickness that she has. So obviously Jesus uh, knew of Simon, saw him in the distance. Who knows what these guys were doing? They were exhausted from the night before. Um, one of the other things that's really tough about being a blue collar uh, worker is when you fail, your failure is almost always translated into immediately your survival and well being. And this is something that most of us in the professional world are very, very sheltered and buffered from. When I fail on a project, when I fail to meet someone's standards, I mean, sure, I have the potential I'm going to get fired, but when I spend an entire night being unsuccessful fishing with all my partners, I have nothing to show the next day for trade, for money, for food. And blue-collar workers still work like this, Uh, In our society, if they can't get paid for the job they did or it's not done successfully or it's not done to the customer's expectations, their livelihood is much more tied to the physicality of their hands and their ability to do things. Now, that can be a blessing, too, because in a lot of modern-day workplaces, professional environments, we get done with the end of our week and we think, what have I done significantly? I've made money for this person. I made my own money. What is my significance as a human? A blue collar workers, as uh, to quote someone who uh, probably if our elders at Northeast Church heard me quote him, I would get in trouble. Um, We'll see if that picks up. Um, uh, Talked about this very early on. He said, you know, one of the biggest problems with capitalism is that people will end up doing such specialized jobs that they have no ability to feel productive after they're done. Because they're some cog in a machine, and they don't understand their role. But at the end of the day, if I catch this many fish, I have some idea of my significance for that night. And so failures become bigger, but successful, uh, successes can also become bigger. They just mean more. When I'm successful at my white-collar company, I might get a bonus. I might get a new role. But, you know, it still kind of comes down to the monetary wage. It's not necessarily tied to my livelihood. And so we got to understand people working back in this day, particularly because most people in society would be considered dirt poor, they were working each day to get the money they needed for the day. And when Jesus talks about people getting paid wages the same as those who showed up early in the morning to show up at late, we're talking about people getting wages who weren't being able to work all day, and all of a sudden God is giving them the provision they need for that day that they desperately needed. And, and so this is a very different environment. And so these guys are just despondent. A whole night of fishing. Who knows if Peter was in charge. Maybe James and, uh, and John were partners. James and John would become, uh, James, John, and Peter would become the circle of three of Jesus, his apostles, right? James and John were the sons of thunder who wanted to bring down fire on a city when they rejected the gospel. I, this is a blue-collar worker, right? You know, fine, you reject me, fire on all of you. And yet John becomes the apostle in uh, John that Jesus loves. And that doesn't mean that John was more loved by Jesus. It means that John's relationship with Jesus was one that was marked by almost nothing but or the main priority was love. Someone who had no love turned into someone who had a lot of love and took care of the church, which is just an amazing testimony in and of itself. But these guys were despondent. I mean, a whole night of fishing. And then now here they are, knowing they still got to work, Jesus comes by. They're probably listening from afar, like most of you do during my sermon. You know, you're kind of planning your schedule for the next week. You're deciding about, you know, uh, maybe trading things on Craigslist if you know you're uh, Claudia, uh, or eBay, or reading Buzzfeed articles. Is that even around? I haven't heard that in a while. Subreddit. I realized, <laughs> certainly learned about that <laughs> recently. Um, all the cool other hip things in there that I don't know about. Just insert those, please. And, um, you know, that's part of what they're doing. They're just kind of listening from afar. Now, they were John's disciples, and so they knew of Jesus and maybe even kind of gotten in his circle. But they were working, and they were tired, and they were exhausted. And uh, so they were going to multitask, which was the best that they could do. So Jesus comes and gets into one of their boats, the one belonging to Simon. Now, again, Simon's got to push the boat out onto the water after having already been done from fishing and putting things up, when I am putting things up at the end of my day, that is the second worst time you can possibly come and try to talk to me, because I want to have nothing to do with you. And I have to consistently apologize people at the end of my day if that's the first time they ever met me, uh, because man, that's only, uh, uh, only time worse is when I'm in the very, very middle of a difficult project, and, uh, and someone comes and interrupts me. So anyway, they got to push the boat back. They're already finished. The day has come up. There's no more fishing left in the day. And now they're going to have to push this boat up for this prophet to go and teach the people. And uh, especially when they wanted to continue mending their nets or, you know, cleaning them or whatever it exactly was they were doing. Yeah? That's a good question, right? I have no clue. None. Zero. Uh, maybe it was such a huge audience that the further they could get out. But then I'm like, how did Jesus project his voice so far to these people? Like, I don't, there's a lot of questions there, man. (laughs) Okay. Um, So, pushes the boat out, sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, who knows how long this went? We have no clue. But you can imagine, unless, you know, Simon was super interested in what was going on, he's just like, let's get this over with. Kind of like this story, right? You know, you're like, let's get this over with. Let's get to the point uh, this was great teaching, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I got places to go, things to do. Long weekend. Uh, I want to go home. I want to rest, take a nap, whatever he's planning on you know, doing after this. So Jesus gets done. And then, in verse 4, as we'll pick up, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Okay, it'd be bad enough if it was just put out into the water. I kind of want to see this lake. And uh, you could give me a tour of it. Okay that'd be bad enough because it's like tired, no, okay, whatever. But when Jesus says, put out your net, that is just, I'm sorry, but it's going to be a complete slap in Peter's face. Put out the net? Who are you? Aren't you a carpenter? (laughs) How do you know anything about fishing? one thing to take you around in a tour when I'm tired, fine. But to go out and actually take these nets that we've either just cleaned, just mended, that might need some time, I don't know, and have to do the fishing thing all over again, are you insane? How many of us at our weakest moments, at our most tired, at our most exhausted, are looking forward to the rest and refreshment, and then we'll start doing good news uh, telling again. But first, we've got to get our rest. And then Jesus comes and he says, put out, we're going to do some more fishing. I mean, guys, it's, it's just, it's exactly what Claudia said. It's someone coming into my shop who's a mechanic without knowing how to weld and starting to ask questions about my welds. Well, do you think that it's going to hold up? I <laughs> if you like, I don't know. Uh, never mind. I, uh, <laughs> I'm much better in the moment when I'm angry, you know, <laughs> but when I'm kind of friendly, it's uh, apparently I can't really come back with good, uh, good things to say. Um, but yeah, this is totally uh, not Peter's reaction to this, I think, should tell you. A lot of uh, uh, commenters and scholars read this as his humility. I'm sorry, but Peter, a humble guy, let's think about him for the rest of his experiences with Jesus. Somehow at this, the beginning, he starts off as a humble. Is there a measure of humility? Sure, but in my mind, it only comes after the amazement of what's going to happen. Listen to what he says master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Stop. Are you sure you want to do this? Because I'm going to be really pissed at you when we come back and nothing happens. But because you say so. Now we think, okay, he's being humble. No, he's saying, let me make something really clear. This is on you. We're going to go out and do this. You're the one that said this is what was going to happen, so you're going to be the one that's responsible when we come back, again, empty-handed, because nobody catches fish during the day. We already tried, and this area is empty. There's no GPS finders and stuff. We know our spots. We know it's empty. We have to go back the next night. This is simply not going to happen, but it's on you entirely. Okay? But the important point in this whole story is that he does it anyway. He obeys. Whether it's because he's desperate, tired, and he doesn't have the will to put up a fight. Whether it's because he kind of has some trust in him. Whatever it is, he obeys even in spite of thinking nothing will come of this at all. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, fine, right? Real quick, you know? Why, did, why go out deep? Let's just do it right here. It's like a half obedience, right? See, nothing, and bring it right back in, you know? <laughs> Dip the net in, you know? See, no fish. Okay, let's go back in. <laughs> I'm sure that's what he was going for when he said, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Anybody who knows anything about just nets in particular, I mean, guys, we're talking about a huge load to be able to uh, to break. Now, maybe they just didn't fix them right, you know, right when they were on the shore. Maybe they didn't have enough time because of the sermonizing and stuff. Who knows? Uh, but it says that they was so huge that it began to break. So they signaled their partners, this is James and John in the other boat, to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Again, guys, to, to understand how many fish... Uh, would cause one of these giant 30 or 40 foot boat, uh, boats to, uh, to sink uh, is just gonna be hard for us to imagine. Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. That's interesting again here because it's easy again to think that Peter has humility in his dealing with Jesus. It's possible that he does. He certainly is humbled forcefully by the fact that he just had a carpenter tell him to go catch fish in the middle of the day, and he caught more than he's ever caught in his entire life. Sort of a forced humility, where someone comes and tells you something you weren't doing right and just sort of got lucky or something, right? And you try to explain it away, but of course, this time, there's no way for them to be able to explain it away. But I wonder what they were afraid and amazed at. If it was me, I'd be amazed at, oh my gosh, I just found the best method to get rich. <laughs> Jesus is going to come out every day with me and catch huge things of fish, and I'm going to be the richest person around here, right? I will never go hungry again. No one around me will go hungry again. I have found the fail-safe method for the, you know, boat sinking fishing tips. I'll consult. I'll do all kinds of things. We'll open up a business. This will be amazing. Amazing. Of course, the fear in it all was, what just happened? I can't control this. I can't explain it. Something has happened. Now, guys, what's amazing about this is uh, Peter has already seen Jesus do some amazing, miraculous thing, not the least of which was heal his mom's fever the night before or the day before, week before. And somehow seeing this anew in the presence of his work and God being able to work even in his workplace with just the spirit. Speaking of a word, the instruction of a command, the obedience of just doing it even when I didn't want to do it is absolutely amazing. It's one thing to see someone heal. It's one uh, thing to, you know, see these miracles around in other words, but for that miracle to happen in my workplace and see Jesus, someone who doesn't have the skills, knowledge, understanding that I do, speak a word, and then something happens. That's got to be pretty fearful. You've got to be pretty afraid of someone like that. And guys, you know, whenever we get threatened with our knowledge or our ability to, uh, you know, um, uh, make our livelihood work, all that stuff, our immediate reaction is always going to be fear. So he's fearful. But there's a forced measure of uh, humility here. In verse 10, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. (laughs) I mean, you get no response here on how Peter, what he thought about this. You know, the whole idea of catching people. I mean, I think that's where most people start with the sermon. I'm going to end there because I have no real clue what he means. (laughs) I mean, other than I know, what Jesus is talking about here is I'm about to totally change your life your life for the next three years will be totally upside down, as is later coined by Luke uh, in Acts. It's a total upheaval, a total change. It's an adding of meaning, of significance. It's giving him a calling. At the point where he is most celebrating the success of his career, Jesus is calling him away to something completely different and something that sounds way worse and way harder And for whatever it is in Peter's, you know, the spirit working in his humility, he follows along. There's no way this would have been a story like most people read where he sees the catch and then boom, he's gone. Jesus had already had interactions with him leading up to this point. And at the height of his success, his amazement, this is a story he's going to be able to tell everybody. Jesus is like, it's time to follow me now. You're going to catch people. This is an amazing story. I mean, it really is, and it has so many Uh, messages, I think, to us and where we're at and particularly in our working world. But this was the big fish uh, that, uh, that Jesus was ready to teach them how to do. Their humility allowed them to go beyond just the day in, day out, doing what's expected of humans to survive and lead a meaningful existence with taking care of people. And Peter, again, you're going to see him throughout his ministry make mistake after mistake, not the least of which, again, was cutting someone's ear off. Blue-collar guy, angry, with a sword. Uh, But that later he would be our uh, minister of the church, our rock of the church. Uh, The guy that first Jesus shows uh, that that his message is for more than the Jews, which is a, a hearkening back to Isaiah. Where God says it's too small for you to just speak to the Jews. I'm going to send you to all the nations. What a cool story, huh? What a cool story. Lord God, thank you so much for calling us uh, out of um, the day in, day out existence of survival. Calling us to fish, to use our skills and our talents to win people to your glory. To win people to the life that you meant for them to live. Would help us in this series to be able to connect with the stories, the images that you're giving. Help us to connect with the heart of uh, who you are. Your character cannot possibly be explained in a simple book or with words. And we know we have to live that out. Help us to do that in the stories we tell and the images that we set forth for people. We just thank you so much, Jesus, for calling us. Um, for changing our lives totally, um, putting meaning in it, calling us back to our original purpose. And Lord, we, uh, we're honored to serve you, no matter how exhausted we are and uh, no matter how hard it is for us to see beyond um, our fear and uh, our, our lack of vision for the future. We trust you and we will obey uh, even when our will uh, is very weak. We love you, Lord. Amen.